On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are joined by NBC Sports Boston's Phil Perry. He is one of our favorite guests. We have a great conversation with him. We obviously touch a little bit on Antonio Brown, but we also talk about what the Patriots looked like in their first game and what you should expect in their second game in Miami and then also moving forward from that. Like I said, it's a great conversation, so buckle up and cue the music. All right, Spags, we are back. The Patriots have officially played a game, and they completely 100% dominated the Pittsburgh Steelers after dropping the sixth banner on their dome. What a night. Uh, Sixburg versus Sixborough, I guess you can call it now. Uh, Pat, you were in attendance. What a night. Uh, definitely how Amazing. a banner night should go. Uh, you know, not like the one we had in 2017 versus Kansas City. Uh, but mm-hmm. just pure domination on all three three sides of the ball. I mean, obviously, we'll get into it a little bit with Phil, but uh, I mean, <sighs> Pittsburgh's probably going to win. I mean, on paper, and they're probably going to win about nine to ten games. Um, I think, especially in that division, uh, the Browns looked horrible. Um, Baltimore, we'll see how they pan out. Obviously, Miami stinks, um, but they're probably going to win around nine to ten games, I'd say, and they dominated them. Dominate. They look like they look like you know, like it was an old AFL versus NFL game. It was just it was embarrassing, and the Patriots just completely dominated them the whole way through it. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think the Patriots played great. I really didn't. I didn't think. I mean, they played well, but it wasn't like they were this well-oiled machine that was just dominating everyone. They were just so much better than the Steelers that they didn't have to play great. They just beat them anyways. Yeah, I thought the first quarter, uh, especially the first couple drives by the offense, was was you know a little shaky, right? You know, rusty. What you'd expect week one, um, you know, some missed blocks. Uh, you know, Brady, I think, got pressured a lot. I think Shaq Mason had a tough day. Um, I think you know, for for a pass rush, I you know, with T.J. Watt, and, and you know, they they did okay, right? I mean, Sonny didn't didn't have a great day. They, they kind of right. clogged up the middle and loaded up the box a lot on him. Uh, but they got better as the game went on, right? I mean, Brady was sharp, especially in that second half, really, really starting oh, in the yeah. second quarter. I mean, that throw yeah. to Dorsett on that first Dorsett. touchdown where he kind of looked off Edmonds for a quick second and just didn't even look. He knew Dorsett was going to be there. Thread the needle, beautiful throw. And then that that throw to Dorsett, I mean, granted, you know, they had blown coverage all night. Um, the Gordon touchdown was man. You know, Nelson blitzed on it, and and he was wide open in the middle of the yeah. field, right? And you, you don't want to do that on a little crosser with Josh Gordon because he's impossible to stop. Uh, I, I saw a tweet today. I think it was Taylor. He was like, Josh Gordon lost a little bit of speed, so he said, screw it. I'm going to gain 15 pounds and just become absolutely impossible to stop because he is. If you get that man. guy in open field, good luck. 
that deep catch where he caught the ball as he got popped oh. by the safety is just was unbelievable. And he just popped up like, oh, I got hit. Oh, sorry. He just he he is a monster. And if he can stay, you know, if he can stay clean this year, man, he's going to be really tough. Especially if you add AB into the mix and. And, uh, you know, that is the elephant in the room right now. Obviously, the Antonio Brown news. We did talk about it over the weekend. You've heard about it all week on every single sports show you've been listening to or watching for the entire week. We're not going to talk about it, me and you. We do talk about it a little bit with Phil and, you know, kind of what to expect moving forward. But we're not going to talk about it right now because you've just heard so much of it that we're just sick of it. And so, you know, we'll we'll get you into the interview with Phil but we're not going to talk about Antonio Brown until we talk about it with him because it's just not it's not worth our time right now. No, and, and like we said on the show, we don't have all the facts. Um, it, it's not fair to either side to you know make assumptions and make judges on it because we don't know. I mean, obviously that's the media nowadays. Uh, you know, people are going to pick sides and and you know label one as the villain, but we don't know. And I and I wish kind of people would take that kind of advice. Um, that that we're saying here, uh, yeah. obviously it's easier said than done when you got a when you get a job to do. But um, I think it's a great interview with Phil. Um, you know, got into some a little bit of some X's and O's. Talked about that defense and how they're just uh, head and shoulders uh, better than better, better than most uh, offenses that they're going to face. Uh, they're going to dominate all over the field. Uh, but we do talk about a little bit, not not necessarily what he did, but more more so the outcomes of what could happen with this. You know. Uh, from a league perspective, from from you know exemplist to to what you know ultimately is going to happen. Right now, it's a good point. So, you know, we have we do have a lot of kind of moving parts, obviously, that are going on uh, as we as we move forward in the season. But again, you know, great first week, and we'll kind of see how it goes. And we do discuss obviously Miami, the Miami, the whole thing going on in Miami. For whatever reason, the Patriots suck in Miami, and they always have. And so, you know, that may not be an issue this week because the talent level is so far off, but. You know, it's something we'll get into more with Phil, but it's it's really going to be interesting to see where this team goes, not only this week, but I think moving forward is really what I'm interested in because there is so much talent here. And even defensively, where you look at it and like, this might be the best defense he's had since 04. And we talked about that already a little bit, but it really, I mean, you got to see it you know, on Monday night where like, you know, they didn't get a ton of pressure and they were just so good defensively. Pittsburgh couldn't do anything against them. They were they were as good as advertised, and Big Ben led the league in passing last year. Uh, Gilmore did a great job on Juju, really physical. Uh, you know we like we know he likes to play hands on, right? I mean Juju couldn't get going, yeah. um, and and they shut down Connor. They they couldn't they just couldn't get going. They couldn't get going offensively, and that defense they just throw multiple looks at him, um, and they just ultimately didn't have an answer for it, right? And and like right. I said, the offense struggled to start the game, but they got better as the game got on and yep. they're pretty good for week one, right? I mean, exactly. um, no DT at the time. Obviously, he's gone. Um, yeah. And no Antonio Brown, uh, whether or not – I mean, I think he's going to play. We talked a little bit about that. I think he's going to play until they give him a reason not to just right. because that's the right thing to do um, because they don't know. Um, but uh, I'm interested to see this weekend. I know obviously with Miami being – probably the worst team we've seen. I think I, I know it's week one, right? But no, they're, they're uh, if Lamar Jackson goes five touchdowns, 17 for 20 on you, you're pretty bad. Uh, but yeah. uh, this might be the worst team we've seen since that 0-16 Browns and Lions teams. Um, or Yeah, they, the yep. Browns no, were 0-16 right. and the yep. Lions said, yeah, I was yep. right. You got it. Um, so I, I think so, you know, 
Uh, it'll be a test to see how they use AB, and, and I think you'll see them experiment a lot of stuff here, especially offensively with with a, just a, a, a terrible Miami team. And I hope right. I'm, I, I don't get quoted saying this and they go out and lay an egg I like know. they always do, but uh, I don't think well, it's they could. Year. I mean, they could, but I mean, it would be it would be a colossal failure. But you know, who, who knows? It's only week two, so Bill's still kind of basically so. Um, you know, but anyways, let's get into that interview with Phil. It's a really good interview. Again, Phil's one of our favorite guys to have on the show. He's just, he's so knowledgeable, but he's also just very well-spoken and such a nice guy too. We love having him on. And so, uh, so here's Phil. But before we do get to Phil, we do have just a quick word from our sponsors. And so, uh, just listen up through these. Maybe don't skip through them. We'd appreciate that. And then we'll get you into the interview with Phil. All right. Thank you for that. We appreciate that. And, uh, and here, here as advertised. Here's Phil Perry, again, from NBC Sports Boston. And boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we will talk to you next week after the Patriots have played two games, and hopefully they'll be 2-0. That'd be awfully nice. But here's Phil. All right, well, welcome on the show. Uh, the One of the Patriots reporters from NBC Sports Boston, you see him all over your TV. Uh, his name is Phil Perry. He is maybe, perhaps, the number one recurring guest on the Patriot Nation podcast, if he isn't, we're going to work our way towards that. Phil, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm coming for that top spot. <laughs> I, I'm charging hard at it, and uh, so I'm happy that you guys uh, asked to, to come on back. Absolutely. We love it. We love having you on, and uh, and so it's nice. You know, it's radio, so we don't get to see you, but, you know, it is it is still nice. You know, it's nicer when we get to, when everyone gets to see you, but even on the radio, it's it's still good, you know? I, you know what? I, I will. Uh, I will take that. I'm just. Uh, I just wish I had the voice, uh, the golden pipes of uh, of one Tommy Curran, who I know was on the show recently. And uh, I don't have that kind of uh, that kind of base right now. But I think eventually, um, when I get as old as he is, and like you know, thirty, forty years from now, uh, I should be good. Oh yeah, he's a lunatic, Phil. <laughs> How you deal with him every day? We don't know, but we love him too. He's the best. He's the best. That's great. All right, so let's let's get into some Patriots stuff here, man. Listen, Antonio Brown has been completely one hundred percent dominating the airwaves in Boston, in Massachusetts, in the entire New England area, perhaps even in the entire nation. When you're talking about the NFL, we're going to talk a little bit about him, but we're going to save that for later because right now we want to get into some of what you're seeing. They're obviously playing in Miami this week, and Yes, minus 59 to 10 against Baltimore last week. But Miami is an absolute house of horrors. The Patriots play terrible in Miami. Uh, in 2004, I think Miami went like 3 and 13, and the Patriots went 14 and 2, and they still lost in Miami. And so, you know, uh, even with that going on, now the good news is you don't have Gronk to play safety this year, but even with that going on, what do you think <laughs> is going to happen this year? It is. It's such a house of horrors, and I'm, I'm trying to um, do a little research. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to result in a story or what because I'm not sure I want to be um, playing weatherman for too, too long. But it does feel like between Miami, Jacksonville last year, Tennessee last year was pretty warm. When it gets hot, the Patriots, whether it's beginning of the season, end of the middle of the season, it doesn't matter. When it gets that hot and that humid, there's just something about it that the Patriots come undone. And I know they combat it in many, many ways. They are already starting to hydrate, making sure they're staying on top of their hydration even more than normal. You know, you talk to guys in the locker room, they are chugging Pedialyte, 
They're making sure they're all over their G2s, their special uh, water with the pollutants. It's just right. So they, they're thinking about this all the time and making sure, again, it's not just about being hydrated on game day. It's not just having your water and your banana on game day. It's starting Wednesday, the day after their day off Tuesday, and even before that, they're probably in players' years making sure that, that they're hydrating where they're supposed to so that by the time they get to Sunday, knowing it's going to be human, knowing that they're going to be losing fluid, that they're combating that as much as they can. So the, the history is not great. Uh, I don't think it's going to matter this weekend. I just feel like the talent level for that Miami side is so bad. It's just so down that the Patriots could probably roll out there with Jared Stidham and be just fine. Uh, I, I feel a little bit for, for Brian Flores and some of the guys on that staff because I know they're incredibly competitive. I know Flores in particular is incredibly competitive. And so to have a game like they had last week when people are already saying, well, you're tanking, when it's really probably the front office that's tanking, not necessarily the coaching staff, uh, that really nods at them. And so uh, I think they'll put up a better fight than they did last weekend against the Ravens, but uh, I'm not anticipating that this will be close. Phil, yeah. what do you I'm, – I'm sorry to cut you off, Spags, but what do you think about that? Now, I know, obviously, maybe, you know, Flores doesn't have as much of a say in that, but, you know, obviously it looks like they're tanking. They traded away all their good players. They have a million drafts so coming up. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> Me too. I really but I mean, do. I know he took the job, but, like, I feel – he the guy's yeah. just – so competitive. I mean, you saw him last year. He's all business. And this guy just went into an absolute dumpster fire down there. I know. But what do you think of the strategy, though? I mean, that that's really what I'm curious about because, yes, it's it's a mess down there. But, like, they're building for the future. And I know Houston did the same thing. If you Obviously, it's baseball and not football. But, you know, Houston did the same thing four or five years ago. And now they're dominant in the, in, in the base, in Major League Baseball, you know? Uh, I would say the, the strategy is smart. I mean, in all honesty, uh, the strategy, when you are already a bad team, to try to compete right away, to try to rush this building process, not to use the process and overuse the process. I know people down in Miami are already saying we have to trust the process and it's giving me a migraine headache because they're going to hear it all freaking year. But that is the way to do it. I mean, it's really hard to get around it, but you have to be bad enough that you can acquire draft picks, multiple draft picks, multiple high-end draft picks, and if you can get the number one overall draft pick in a year where there are a couple of solid quarterbacks coming out, it looks like uh, the next two years, actually, it looks like there, there are going to be some, some great quarterbacks coming out. If you can play it that way, you could be setting yourself up for a 10-year run. So would you eat it for a year or two to – potentially have a competitive team not saying you're going to be the new england patriots and and have a 20-year run but you might have a shot at at having that or say having seven to eight years as a competitive team and making the playoffs and just being in the mix yes you would do that especially if you're the dolphins they've been looking for a quarterback since dan marino you don't think they could you know it sounds bad because you don't want to put fans through that if you can avoid it you don't want to put players through that, in my opinion, if you can avoid it, especially players that you think you're going to have around for the long haul. You know, I think that's the one criticism you could have of this strategy is that you look at players like Minka Fitzpatrick or Kenyon Drake, who I think is a really talented back when he's on the field. 
um, you know, even maybe Mike Gesicki, you know, just some of these younger players, Christian Wilkins, uh, the, the guy they drafted in the first round who is talent-wise, that might have been a little bit of a reach, but character-wise, that's a pick that people around the league I know thought the world of, especially because of the situation they're in. You look at those players, and if you feel like the losing is going to have a, a long-lasting impact on those guys, then, yeah, you can criticize the decision to essentially strip your roster down to AAF caliber right. and, yeah. and try to go about your season that way. Uh, but I feel like they've drafted guys they feel like are, are high caliber there this year and last year, even though, uh, you know, last year Flores wasn't there, and that they can withstand it. And they're going to come out of this thing two years from now looking like an incredibly promising team because they were willing to bite the bullet. So I, I think it is smart. I, I would just say this, guys, look at a team like the Raiders. And I know they won on Monday night, but that was a team that – and it and has been a team that has been pretty mediocre for, for a long time with a, I, in my opinion, mediocre quarterback and a middling to less than that roster. They really made a push between the Antonio Brown uh, trade and signing the Trent Brown, they, the exorbitant amount of money they threw at him and how they built this roster. It's like they wanted to try to compete a little too quickly if they were willing to maybe scale back some of the spending and be a little bit smarter about that end of it and drafting and continuing to compile picks instead of trying to compete in 2019 and 2020, then that's another team that I think would have been set up for the longer run, but they tried to rush it. And I don't think the results are going to be as positive as what we see from the Dolphins say in 2021 or 2022. Yeah, Phil, and a huge, huge fan of, uh, obviously, we all are probably go for Christian Wilkins. Massachusetts-born, I mean, what he did at Clemson was awesome. It, like you said, huge character guy, ripping splits after the national championship. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> but I, I kind of want to get into some X's and O's with you. Um, and and I, I think it's interesting, right? Because obviously with Gronk gone, we kind of wanted to get and kind of see that post-Gronk offense. And, and Sunday night was kind of our first look at that. And, and the one stat, which I'm sure you guys know I'm getting at, is kind of um, what they went to Sunday night. Um, you know, they, they went 20 personnel 23 times, right? Two running back, no tight end, three, three wide receivers, which we thought we'd see a lot of. Um, but personally, you know, I didn't think we'd see it this soon. Um, I, I know we heard rumblings of Michelle getting more active in the passing game. And obviously we know what James White can do. Um, but now with Antonio Brown, I know we'll get into that. It, it, assuming he's going to play and, you know, how long and, and when he may play. And, and that that's an, obviously another story for another time. But, you know, adding him to that offense, you know, we're talking here on Wednesday night, assuming he's going to play. Uh, what, what do you kind of see them trending towards when adding a talent like that to, to this offense? I mean, I think it just makes them more flexible. Now, um, what it might do, what my my initial inclination is, is that you'll just see more 11 personnel uh, than you saw the other night. That's the most popular personnel grouping across the league. Every team, including the Patriots, three receivers, one back, one tight end. You now have three Pro Bowl caliber or better uh, receivers in that offense that you can go to and guys that really fit roles well in, in the Patriots offense, the way it is constructed. I think that's probably what you'll see initially, but the tight end spot is so weak for this team guys. I mean, you could make the argument that it's the weakest tight end 
unit in the NFL um, that, you know, while they won't totally abandon the position, and I thought it was interesting, we actually saw James Devlin playing a little bit like a tight end more than Mm -hmm. I think we've seen in a long time, uh, even though he's working out and and meeting with that position group every week. Um, But that position being constructed the way it is, you won't necessarily just see more 11, you'll see more 20, but with Antonio Brown on the field instead of Phil Dorsett, which I think everybody would, would say is a, is a, as well as Dorsett played the other night, if Antonio Brown can come close to grasping this offense and grasping what Tom Brady wants him to do, that's a significant upgrade. So I don't think they'll go away from the two-back stuff entirely, but I think it makes them so dangerous um, as a passing offense with just those three receivers that you might see something like more 11 and just using Ryan Izzo as a pass protector as opposed to a legitimate pass catching option, which he, which he really is not. So that's my, that's my inclination at first. And just in terms of when he is out there, how it affects the team, I just think you've got to double him and you've got to probably double Josh Gordon when you're on the outside because if, if he breaks through from that first defender, that can be a 10-yard game that turns into a 40-yard game pretty quickly. Uh, and that just opens up the middle of the field for guys like Julian Edelman and James White, where Tom Brady does his best work. So if he's on the field, I think the, the positive impact will be immediate just because of how defenses treat Antonio Brown, even if he only has two or three routes that he's running in this offense. And, and you mentioned Philip Dorsett, and that's kind of where I was kind of trending to next. Um, I, I like him as, you know, and I think a lot of people have kind of think of him this way. I think he can do a little bit more, but, um, you know, I kind of see him as that Amendola in this offense, right? I mean, he might catch, you know, uh, you know, adding a B maybe 35 to 40 balls is a little bit of a stretch for him. Um, but you know, when you're going to throw to him, I mean, the, the stats prove it, right? He's caught his last 20 regular season attempts. When you throw to him, you know, he's going to catch it. Um, do you kind of see him adapting to that Danny Amendola role where like, Hey, he's kind of the forgotten guy on that offense, but Tom Brady, you know, when the going gets tough and, and, you know, you face some good defenses that are locking down. And and I know that's hard with the three guys we just named. Um, but you know, God forbid they get there. Is that a guy that, you know, that's kind of going to be his role in that offense, right? You know, you need a big catch, you need a big, you know, first down on third and long Philip Dorsett's your guy. You know what? I think it's a good comparison because the, the number of snaps is going to be relatively similar. When Danny Amendola, um, you know, was at his best, he was not a top three receiver in this offense, really, in terms of the snaps played. He had a couple of years where he where he saw a lot of work because Julian Edelman was out. But you know, typically it was you know that end end of the fourteen season into the fifteen season. It was the less work, the better for Danny Amendola because he was healthy, and when he was on the field, he was just able to be more effective. Philip Dorsett doesn't necessarily have those durability concerns that Amendola had just because of his frame and the position he played on the field, um, but he, what he what he has in durability, he doesn't necessarily have, I don't think, right now at least, as, as consistent as he's been when he's been targeted, he doesn't have that middle-of-the-field uh, presence that Amendola had, and, and I'm still not sure Tom Brady trusts him the same way he trusted Danny Amendola. Um, Danny Amendola was the prototype slot that Tom Brady loved. He just got hurt. And so when he was out there, Brady loved going to him. And he went to him in critical spots, even if he didn't go to him all that much during the game because he wasn't out there. 
I'm not sure you would get the same from Phillips Dorsett, but with every opportunity he's gotten, he's made the most of it. So I do think the snaps will be will be reduced for Dorsett. You might see somebody like Jacoby Myers, you know, not even active if Antonio Brown is playing because he's not playing special teams for you. Um, but they they obviously have more options there, and I think with the uncertainty at that position between Gordon who obviously has been reinstated on a conditional basis between Antonio Brown. You're, you're never really sure what he's going to do next or even how the league is going to handle this situation that's going on with him right now. He's incredibly valuable, Dorsett is, because the moment one of those guys go down, and any of them could, he can step in and he can play just about every receiver role in this offense and be totally serviceable. Right. No, it's a good point. And I will say the, the thing for me, I do love Dorsett just in the fact that I feel like he's so reliable. And he's not a big play guy. I mean, obviously he had a few big plays last week, but to me, he's not a consistent big play guy. But he has that Amendola type where I feel like Brady does trust him pretty much. Now, again, it's not as at Amendola's level because Amendola, you know, is one of the best clutch receivers they've ever had. And so, you know, obviously he's not at that level. But I think the stats could be similar where it's 20 to 30 catches, you know, where it's 30 catches and, and 25 of them are for first downs, you know, something along those lines. And so – you know, it's that's that's where I think it's going to be similar, at least in my opinion. So, but I do want to move over to the defense. Um, just just a thought on your defense on on what you saw from the defense on Sunday night. Obviously, they dominated Pittsburgh for the majority of the game, if not the entire game, and they didn't get a ton of pressure. But Michael Bennett did win a lot uh, of one on one pass pass uh, pass rushing battles. I think they only had one sack, and they didn't pressure Ben a ton, but the coverage was just so damn good. Um, and I really felt that like they didn't really blitz much. Um, you know, I, I assume that's going to change in the, in the coming weeks. But, uh, you know, just, just kind of your your look at, you know, at what the defense is going to look like and whether they're going to shift things around. Maybe, again, maybe not this week because this week, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and that offense is just brutal. But, like, in, in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, uh, you know, especially I would say – Starting week three, honestly, week three and week four, you're going to have quarterbacks that are a little bit more mobile, a little bit more athletic, a little bit more willing to extend plays. Um, you know, not to uh, no, believe me, uh, I, I don't want to disrespect Ryan Fitzpatrick. The guy is, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, he's very intelligent with the Harvard. Uh, that's a little known fact about Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, really? um, yes. Yeah, I know. that and that he's thrown believe, an interception uh, for eight different teams. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive, very impressive stat. Um, but I, I think you're going to see things maybe change a little bit when they start to see those more athletic quarterbacks and they start to focus more on keeping guys in the pocket and making sure that that pocket integrity is where they want it to be. Um, you know, against Ben Roethlisberger, he's sort of a he's sort of a sitting duck, uh, but they really couldn't get to him. As as you mentioned, it's a great offensive line there. I think they're going to have more success, a lot more success in Miami. And I think it's going to be the reason why Miami is going to have a hard time doing anything offensively again for the second straight week is they're just not going to be able to protect. The Patriots have too many guys who can win one-on-one battles between Michael Bennett. Uh, Dietrich Wise surprised me with what he was able to do. He's Mm -hmm. a guy who, you know, in this, this is a new defense. This is, you know, more of a three, four defense, no, team plays base hardly anymore ever anyway so you're never seeing true seven-man fronts but with the looks you saw with with the nickel that the Patriots started in the other night that was essentially three four nickel you saw you know the nose tackle off the field no Danny Shelton you saw Jonathan Jones on 
but you saw two guys that can play the five technique end in Bennett and Guy, and you saw four out four linebackers, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. So the defense has changed, um, and Dietrich Wise will see a dip in his number of snaps as a result. Uh, he only played 19 snaps the other night, but he made the most of them. Again, you know, talking about Philip Dorsett in that way, Dietrich Wise, this this might be a great role for him. Uh, maybe this is maybe this is better than playing that four three end and playing you know 30 40 snaps a game because I thought he was electric. Winning one one on one battles, he he did have the only sack on Roethlisberger as a strip fumble, a strip sack, um, and created pressure on a handful of other occasions. So. He was one of their best defenders, even though he didn't play a ton the other night. And, and you hit it off the top. I mean, the biggest thing the other night was just the coverage and the fundamental stickiness, the fundamental ability to play the football at the catch point, whether guys were in phase or out of phase, meaning were they trailing their receiver uh, that they were assigned to, or were they right there in the guy's hip pocket and able to make a play on the football like they were a receiver themselves? thought they did that perfectly because you didn't see a whole lot in the way of penalties in the secondary. I think J.C. Jackson picked one up late, but, you know, otherwise, guys like Jason McCourty, Jonathan Jones saw a bunch of targets and handled just about every one of them outside of the one that, that McCourty allowed deep down the field to James Washington. I mean, they were pretty stellar. That was about as, as good a performance as you could ask for against a team that loves to chuck the football and a quarterback who, you know, led the led the league in passing last year. So right. if they can well, keep that up on the back end without a pass rush, which, again, I think that offensive <clears> line for the Steelers is good enough that it got negated, uh, they're only going to get better because the pass rush is only going to create more pressure. They're only going to blitz more. They're only going to be able to win more one-on-one battles. So I, I really do think this is a top-five defense, at least in the NFL this year, and we're going to see some special things from them. And, and what a job. I mean. It, by the front office too, but by locking up John Jones too. I mean, I, I think personally, I think Miami, that's a great attraction. And I know B flow loved him. I mean, and he would have got a lot more money. I think he, he might've been a day one signing if, if he kept it up. Um, you know, obviously the great job on Tyreek Hill. I know he had safety help uh, for most of that game, but I mean, they held him to one catch him and crossing did a great job in the AFC title game last year. And, and talk about absolute beast. I mean, Dante Hightower looks really healthy. He tossed all pro Alejandro Villanueva to the turf and made just an ooh, sorry, unbelievable tackle on Jalen Samuels on, on a little halfback sweep. I mean, that, that, that was pretty impressive. And, you know, I think he's battled some injuries. Obviously he had the, the pectoral and I think they missed him from a communication standpoint um, that year. Obviously we lost to Philly, but having him back, I know he was great last year, especially in that Super Bowl. But he looks he looks healthy. He looks like he slimmed down a little bit. Looks quicker. Uh, I expect a big role from him this year, uh, especially. I, I know he always has a bigger role, but uh, it's great to see him healthy and, and performing the way he is. He's a he's a game changer for them. There's no doubt about it. And he's going to allow them to, as we see them get more creative, which I anticipate. He's one of the guys who allows them to do that. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of Kyle Van Noy off the line this year, although we might if there are injuries. He, to me, looks like a, a true left outside linebacker, athlete, guy who can drop into coverage, which is um, important on that side of the field because that's typically where you have your backs releasing and it's the front side of the quarterback. And so that's where you saw guys like Rob Nikovich, you know, play for a long time was on that left side. And that's where, that's where Van Noy was um, a lot of last year. 
when Jawan Bentley was healthy. And what you saw was Bentley in the middle, off the line, and you saw Hightower in the middle, off the line. Those two guys working in conjunction together and Van Noy on line of scrimmage. But Hightower is the true wild card in that he can be on the edge in certain situations. You can line him up in the A-gap in certain situations. You can put him off the ball in certain situations. Jamie Collins, I would say, has some versatility as well. However, um, what Hightower gives you off the line against the run, Collins really does not. He's a tremendous penetrating player and an instinctive player, and we saw that with a four-yard loss, tackle for a loss the other night against the Steelers. But he's not going to two-gap. He's not going to take on blocks the same way Hightower will. You're not going to see him pancake a 320-pound human being the way we saw Hightower uh, do. And that's just, you know, those sorts of things um, totally, I think, change the mindset of the defense. And then when you start to see him unleashed a little bit and moved around on the chessboard like the like the queen piece that he is, you're going to see the, the defense even reach another level, I think, just in terms of how that – confuses opposing quarterbacks. I mean, it's one thing just to get good play from that guy all over the field, but when you're getting that and the quarterback on the other side isn't sure where you're going to be, you, all of a sudden you start to see the mistakes like like we would see against, you know, Peyton Manning when they, you know, dropping Rob Nikovich in the coverage or Phillip Rivers in 2014 where they did the same sort of thing and, and had some success. So I, I think, again, as they move along in the season here, and especially against some of these younger quarterbacks that they're going to face, uh, you're going to see a lot of a lot of mixing and matching and, and just trying to confuse the other guy. And I think it's going to have a lot of success. Well, and I, I think it's a great point. And I think the big thing for me with Hightower isn't just how good he plays, but it's the fact that he lets the other guys do their roles that they're best at as well. You know, I think when he went down a few years back, two years back, you could see Van Noy struggled in that role. But once Van Noy got to do what he's good at, he, he excelled in that role. And so not only do you get that great play from Hightower, but you also get the great play from the other guys around him because they're able to, to play the roles they're supposed to be in. But then when Hightower goes down, or if Hightower goes down, then those guys have to slot into his role, and they just don't do it as well. And because of that, that role suffers, and every other role on the defense suffers as well because you get guys playing in spots that they wouldn't normally be playing in and therefore just aren't doing as well. Yeah, it's, there's a there's a complete domino effect, like you mentioned, and I, and I think the one piece too that you know uh, can't be uh, overstated is just how important the communication factor is, and that's one thing that that we don't get a chance to really experience as as viewers of the game, whether you're in the press box or you're watching on TV, you don't necessarily get an appreciation for that outside of the handful of mic'd up segments that we've gotten from these guys over the years, but when you talk to the teammates that Dante Hightower is communicating with, or the teammates that Devin McCourty um, are communicating with, uh, then you really get an appreciation for how smart these guys are, and how well they can communicate what the other person's assignment should be, A, but B, give everyone around them an idea of what's coming next. And that's not, you know, necessarily unique to the Patriots. Hey, alert the under route, alert the the uh, the high low crosser, alert the slant, um, the slant flat combination on this side of the field. That stuff happens everywhere across the league. But if you're not right, all of a sudden, all you're doing is you're putting doubt into the minds of your teammates, 
and you don't hear a lot of that about Devin McCourty and, and Dante Hightower, the, the primary communicators there. And I would say Lawrence Guy is really the, the guy, no pun intended, up front uh, who does something similar. But when it comes to calling out based on the look, based on the situation, based on where they are on the field, what the other team is about to do, when the, when the coach's headset and the coach-to-player communication system is shut off with 15 seconds or less left in the play clock, that is incredibly valuable. And so somebody like Dante Hightower doesn't put up the stats that, say, Bobby Wagner does and don't want to take anything from Bobby Wagner. I'm sure he's a great communicator. But the value that Hightower brings to the defense is really – it's cliche, but it really is one of those things that doesn't always show up in the stat sheet because he's telling somebody else where the play is going to be and then you see them make it. Yeah, I mean, it, it through and through, the, this defense is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I know we saw flashes of greatness really down the stretch last year, and, and it's, you know, carried over into this year, um, you know, hoping everybody stays healthy because uh, I think they're going to be a real treat to watch both offensively and defensively. But, Phil, I know I'm tired of talking about it, and so is Pat, but we got to get into it a little bit. Uh, Antonio Brown. You know, uh, we kind of, you know, I know we're, we're, we're not all lawyers here and, and, you know, we don't know the facts yet, so we're not, we don't want to judge anything here, but, uh, kind of, you know, what do you expect to, to kind of come out of this? Uh, I know, like I said, we don't know too, too much. Um, but you know, we've been hearing rumblings, the league's going to meet regarding the exempt list, whether that's, you know, true or not. Uh, basically what, what do you think comes about this? Yeah, I think it'll be, uh be really fascinating over the course of the next few days here because as it was reported by the Washington Post, Mark Massey um, is one of the most tapped in reporters in the country when it comes to um, the league period, but specifically what's going on in the league offices. Uh, and I would say even at the ownership level, when we start to see, you know, these next CBA negotiations start to go down as they've already, you know, st- you know, started to uh, kick up here. Uh, Maskey is somebody who you know we're we're all going to be reading and, and paying attention to because he knows what's going on. And so when I when I see him say that you know leaders in the league are going to meet to discuss whether or not the commissioner's exemption list um, is appropriate in this instance with Antonio Brown, I would take that to the bank. I'm sure they are looking into it, and they may need to give themselves a few days to figure out what information they have, what's credible, what's not credible before making a determination on that. And it sounds like that determination might not even be made until next week after this Patriots Dolphins game upcoming. Um, And so that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, Because you never know with Roger Goodell, you always have to pay attention to the fact that he can suspend a player, whether he has been formally charged with a crime or convicted of a crime or not. And so, um, which, uh, you know, was the case, I believe, with Ben Roethlisberger. He was suspended for six games, got knocked down to four. And that was essentially because the league saw that incident um, and and what was playing out with Ben Roethlisberger, decided the league didn't like it, felt like there was, you know, uh, a possibility, probably a strong possibility of some wrongdoing there, even though, again, no conviction. But all of a sudden, one of your premier quarterbacks is suspended for a month. So, you have to keep that in mind, too, that they do have the ability to do that under the player conduct policy. So I won't try to predict what happens. I do think, though, when it comes to how the team handles Antonio Brown, we will continue to see him at practice. We will see him play on Sunday unless, A, 
new information comes out or more information comes out on Antonio Brown and this specific allegation from this specific person or other allegations from other people, um, that would be number one that could change things. And number two would be if the league decides it needs to get involved. But otherwise, I believe that Antonio Brown will continue to practice. I believe he'll be in uniform. I believe he'll play week two in Miami. Yeah, I think so too. And, and uh, you know, I think the the number thing is interesting because technically he's not allowed to contact Ben Watson to see if he can get 84. So if he does play on Sunday, I, I, I don't think he can actually wear 84 if, if that's, if that's correct, which is, it does. It's so irrelevant, but I just think it's it's an interesting <laughs> little subplot. Um, I'm not sure how that but, works. I, I, can the team just take away 84 from Ben Watson? I'm not. I, I I don't think he has ownership over that jersey number. He is. I mean, I guess theoretically they could. So he can't. Yeah, I guess theoretically. Yeah, they could. so he can't be in the uh, in the mix here. But um, yeah, I mean, whatever number he's wearing, we know he won't wear number one, which he was wearing. Yeah, practice, he can't. Yeah. Uh, today he can't wear number one, but. Um, I think they'll they'll figure something out where again unless there's more information or unless the league steps in I, he's he's going to be out there and I think again immediately he could play a significant role. I mean you hear Brian Flores talk about him today and say there are about a hundred different ways that the Patriots could use this guy and if I tried to figure them all out I'd drive myself crazy. But the question right. is is he actually going to be available? Well, one of the one of the things about and and just going back to your point about you know suspension and exemplus and everything else, I think a lot of people point to the Tyreek Hill case and they're like, you know, how come Tyreek and this and that? The fact is, is that you know whether it's right or wrong, the the you know I don't know if it's his wife or his baby mom or whatever she's considered, you know, the mom dropped the charges, so the charges weren't there, and so she wasn't pursuing it. Now they may have been investigating it, but she wasn't pursuing it. In this case, the woman is pursuing it. And if she's convincing enough to them, well, then that's another per that's a person that if they believe her story, and and I don't know, and obviously none of us know whether it's true or not. But like if they believe her story, that's it's a thing they could do regardless of whether this charged or not. Yeah, I mean the league has that has that power, uh, and and the reason that the exempt list is there is is really for instances where the league feels like there needs to be a little bit more time to gather more information. So if in their initial look into this specific case and this specific suit, if they look into this and they feel like there's enough there to warrant a more significant and a more in-depth investigation, then they may say, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to suspend them outright, which is you're out of here. You're, you can't be in the facility and you won't be paid will put you on this list where you can be in the facility for meetings, you can work out with the team, you can get treatment, you will be paid, but you can't practice or play on game days. Uh, you know, that's 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 significant to the player, obviously, because of the, the check that he'll be getting. Um, but that's that's something that they could do just based on how they read this case and the people they talk to. Um, I haven't spoken to anyone yet about, you know, just, how um, the suit was constructed and and their their sense of whether or not the this alleged victim uh, in this case feels like you know she is putting together a case where she will be able to in a, in a civil in a civil court be able to get uh, basically a fifty one percent to forty nine percent victory which is all you need to um, 
to to win in that scenario. It's it's diff- much different from a criminal court where you probably need to win 95% to 5% where, you know, you have to prove re- beyond a reasonable doubt. That's not the case in an instance like this. Uh, the, the, the burden of proof is far less significant. So um, they'll be looking into this for sure. You can count on that. And I would not be shocked, guys, if um, – if they were going to do this, that it would happen before week two. I, I I would assume that there is some sort of pressure on the league's end if they feel like there's enough to go on this to keep him off the field. They would desperately try to do that before Sunday because if they let him play and then they find some piece of information or there's some nugget out there that they get the very next day that leads them to believe, okay, there's no way this guy should be on the field, that's going to be a terrible look for the league. It's going to be a terrible look for Roger Goodell, uh, a guy who obviously has sustained a lot of those in his career. Um, but I, I would think that if they are going to decide, it, it would it would be by week two, by Sunday week two. I agree with you 100%. And I think, it makes, uh, I think that makes complete sense because that's the last thing you want, especially from an optics situation. Now, I do have – we're going to try to wrap it up. I do have one last question. Uh, you know, I'm pretty humble about it, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but I'm pretty sick right now. I've been coughing up a lung, throwing you on mute because I'm just dying over here. So, uh, but I'm fighting through, fighting through. What a warrior. (laughs) I mean, listen, I'm humble, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to draw attention. I'm over here laughing on camera over here. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so I do have a question for you, Phil, uh, you know, and it's, it's completely not related to what we were just talking about because I want to get as far away from AB as I can, but. Uh, with the Demarius Thomas trade uh, yesterday, Belichick has now traded with all 31 teams in the NFL. If you yeah. if if you had to pick one team and only one team that the Patriots had to trade with forever, and they couldn't trade with any other team, what team would you pick? Mm. And why? I guess. Boy, that is a good question. I think at one point, I think at one point, I think at one point it might have been the Browns, uh, but they have, they yep. have had enough turnover there that um, you probably wouldn't want to do that at this point and, and feel like you're going to be able to win every single trade the way you were at one point in time. Boy, honestly, it, you know, in a vacuum, the team that is incredibly set up with draft picks and when I'm when I think trade I think you want to try to acquire draft picks I think the smart team is what they're doing right they're accumulating as many draft picks as possible they're picking as many players as possible because everybody understands now no one's particularly good at actually drafting players and so the more players you draft the better chance you have of hitting a few players so I would look at at least in the short term right now Look at the Miami Dolphins. I mean, who's who's better set up over the course of the next couple of years in terms of draft picks and might be willing to part with some of those draft picks than the Miami Dolphins? I know it's in division. I know, you know, you got a connection there with those guys. Whether that makes you more likely, less likely to actually trade with them, I don't know. But I'm looking at assets. And so if you're looking at it strictly through that lens, I think the best team to try to strike deals with would be the Miami Dolphins. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a that's a good that's a good choice. I actually might go. Who, who would you think? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm thinking the only because uh, you know, first of all, maybe one of the best Jimmy G trade 
I don't want Felger and Maz calling the show being upset at me. So I'm not going to talk about Jimmy G trade, but, but the, um, you know, but the, the, maybe the single best trade that Belichick's ever made was the fourth round pick for Randy Moss. And I just feel like the people that are in charge in Oakland have no idea what the hell they're doing. And they're just like, they're just shit people. Regardless of, regardless of the AB, sorry to cut you off, but like, yeah, if, if this boils over and he turns out, um, obviously they didn't trade for him, but you know what I'm saying? The Randy Moss yeah. deal is one of the best deals in NFL history. <laughs> Fourth round pick. Come on. And, and, and they're, they're like, you got Gruden and Mayock over there. You know, I, they just, they look like they have no idea what's going on. I mean, uh, Clellan Farrell, great player. I didn't, I didn't really see the reach at four. Um, I, I just, I just think they have no idea what they're doing from a future perspective. That's probably not a, a bad choice just because, you know, obviously the, the front office coaching staff has turned over since Randy Moss, but ownership, same family, right. uh, you know, like if it all starts with ownership and if you feel like a certain team just isn't ever going to be able to figure it out with their, their key hires uh, because of ownership, then that's probably not a bad one because you say, okay, as long as this is in that family, this team is in the hands of that family, uh, they're probably going to be able to be taken advantage of in, in a certain respect. So I, that's not a bad that's not a bad selection there, the Oakland Raiders slash Vegas Raiders, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the Dolphins that's are a good choice too. They're going to go to Vegas. They're going to go to Vegas, and they're going to be <laughs> they're going to be wanting to take any big name like they like yep. they'll take uh, you know you'll you'd be able to trade them. I don't know. You'd be able to trade them. Uh, you know, I like Devin McCourty. You know, this, uh, this, I have a, there's an admitted like a little bit of a bias there because he used to be with us at uh, at Quick Plans. But you'd be able to trade Devin McCourty when he's like 40 years old and get a first round pick back from the Raiders right. just because they're in Vegas and they're going to want like you know quote unquote big names and exactly. you know that that would be the kind of thing I could foresee happening. Right, right, and that's that's really what you want. I mean, what you want is is you know the opposing team to just have no idea what the hell they're doing, and Belichick has <laughs> yeah. fleeced has fleeced, you know, his fair share of people, maybe no one more than, than Randy Moss. Although Seattle, you trade Deion Branch there for a first-round pick, and then, what, three years later, you trade back for a fourth-round pick? So it's just like, you know, that's not too that's not too bad either. So, uh, you know, and the Dolphins, no, like right. you said, the Dolphins, I mean, you talk about 07, man, a second round, a second and a seventh for Wes Welker. Uh, you know, I mean, shoot. You know, that's not one of bad. those things, too, where you look at it and say, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty good, pretty definitely. So, I think it's it. I think it's all we got. Um, but before we're done, can you just just uh, just uh, plug yourself a little bit? Let everyone know where they can find you, where they can watch you, where they can listen to you, where they can tweet at you or talk to you or whatever. Yeah, man. So I'm a uh, Phil at Phil A Perry at Phil A Perry on Twitter, on Instagram. Really trying to hit the gram hard this year, boys. Just trying to keep that uh, that Instagram story updated, keep it somewhat entertaining. Trying to get some different types of content over there um, on the old uh, IG, as the kids call it. So, um, man, so you can find me it's there. The new wave, and, man. It's yeah, new Phil, you're you're popping on that, huh? Like that that's your. Uh, I don't really see too many Patriot beat guys use Instagram to their advantage. You're uh you're 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 young in that regard. You're you're popping on the Instagram. I like it. I'm trying. I'm trying. I just want to just trying to be just trying to be uh be with it. Trying to be as hip as, as humanly possible, boys. And uh, you're not going to believe this. And this actually may turn some of your listeners off uh, to to ever following me on any platform. 
But I will say this in case you have some uh, some listeners that are in the I would say uh, high school to maybe early college age range. Uh, I did just set up a TikTok profile. Oh, let's go! Let's go! Let's, go. let's, just, let's see what this yeah. thing is all about. I know it's all basically <laughs> high school kids at this point, but they've I got a billion. They've got a billion monthly users. A billion. Amen. Uh, one one billion with a B. That's you that's, and Tommy uh, Curran could and... have a field day with that, Phil. You and Tommy Curran <laughs> could have a field day. Well, I'm trying to figure out how it works. In all honesty, but I, you can't ignore the success. I mean, between that and Instagram, the numbers just dwarf anything that's that's available on Twitter. So, um, so trying to get set up there. But then you can find everything we're writing NBCSportsBoston.com. You can find all of our football shows during football season now. Monday through Friday starts Monday with me and Ted Johnson. I think people are really going to love Monday Night Patriots this year. We had Rob Ninkovich last year. This year it's Ted, and we have access to a Telestrator this year. We're, we're back in our studio. Last year we were down at Plain Ridge Park Casino, but we're back in the studio. It allows us to do so much more in terms of That's breaking nice. down the X's and O's of these plays, the most important plays, the most important themes uh, week to week on the game that we just saw the night before. So for anybody that's interested in the X's and O's, Ted does a phenomenal job breaking it down, and we, we try our best to illustrate it. I think we do a pretty good job of it. We did a decent job of it after week one, and we're only going to get better. But you've got Quick Slants Tuesday, Patriots Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, the tailgate guys are Thursday, and then football fixes back on Friday with B Beetle and uh, Danielle Trotta. So you can, you can find us on there every week talking football. I know that's what you guys love. Man, you guys are killing it. Killing it. Listen, anytime you want to have the Patriots Nation podcast on any of those shows, you just let us know. We're available. We'll make we'll time. We'll do. Okay? We'll do, man. Hey, let, let's figure it out. We'll get you we'll get you guys on the Telestreeter from uh the, you know, we'll we'll Skype you in, we'll oh, FaceTime yeah. you in. We'll have, you know, it'll be like very futuristic. We'll have people on screen drawing on I screen. Love it. I love it. Listen, but I do, I will say, I am not, this face is not made for TV, so you're going to have to do one of those things. Oh, where it's stop like, it. Put the thing at the bottom stop line it. where it's like, you know, where it's like Pat Lane for Pat's moment. Okay, there he is. No so, way. I was just saying, but, I mean, you guys you guys just had Tommy Curran on your on your air last week, right? So what are you talking about? You've, you yep. know, you've seen that guy's face. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I mean, brother. Yeah, yeah. Shots by right? hey. You said it, not me. That's all I know. I love. Hey, no, I love Tom. He knows that. We get. We we no, like no, to. We like to give it. Uh, give it to each other a little bit. Uh, it goes both ways. So I'm sure he will be like giving me yeah. nuggies on early edition tomorrow or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on. We love talking to you, and uh, you know we're gonna have to have you on again so that you can take your crown. I don't know if you have it yet or yeah, not. We're gonna but, start you know, a you're list. Gonna just, we're gonna start a list. Get the list going. Get the list going, and uh, I would be happy to come down with you guys anytime. It's always fun, and uh, enjoy enjoy whatever transpires down in Miami. I'm thinking it's it's going to be um, one of those wins where you're not necessarily biting your nails to the quick. Let's, Let's hope, hope so, so, right? Let's, Let's hope. hope so. Oh, there you go, Pat. We're in sync. Me and Pat are in mid-season yep. form here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All over it. So, All right, Phil. Right, thank thank so thanks much, a lot, man. man. We'll talk to All you. right, boys. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.